I'm just feeling encouraged. I, I was, I've got a subject today that's it's pretty raw and real. <laughs> Maybe I've been doing a bit of Kingdom Brotherhood. That last song, Waymaker, that's our theme song. Hey, Nate. All us guys are just out bursting out in that song now. It's like, why is that song so familiar? Oh, it's our theme song. Our Waymaker theme song. But I was just encouraged by a couple of things. I had Kristen Williams message me this morning. Kristen's coming in a month's time. And, and uh, just going on what's going on, what I feel in my heart as well. He says, says hey, Lyndon, I was praying for you in Cornerstone just now. Saw a clear, a clear picture of the Lord dropping a plumb line right into the middle of your church meeting. The plumb line of his word and his presence, like quite a powerful thing. Someone else is praying for us who's feeling something of the atmosphere of what we're going through as a church. And then when, when we started singing the songs, you know, Willie, you know, he, he chooses his list, but I believe God is in on the, in the choice of our list when we're song leading. And I liked it in the first song. It says, I'm not afraid to show you my weakness. Really? Because we're going to find that out this morning. I feel nervous myself because I'm going to be sharing some stuff from my journey. And then um, the last song there says, when my shame is undone. And uh, often there's stuff that comes around our lives that causes us to feel shame. All right, so can we have that first picture there? Can I get that up? Yeah, there we go. Okay. And so the word today is, where's your roaring lion? And we've had a bit on this morning, and I, I realize that Dre says, can you do a shorter brief? briefer version and I, I don't feel to do that so I'm going to do a bit of a disclaimer right now that we're going to stay on the journey because we need to land this thing well at the end I really sense that the Holy Spirit's on the message and uh, I, I don't you know it's going to be raining at lunchtime anyway so who cares what's going to do this afternoon you know have a nap watch a movie on Netflix what do you like but now God wants to speak to our lives where's your roaring lion so my, my key verse that I want to look at today is this is that Romans 6, 6, it says, Knowing this, that our old man, our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should be no longer slaves to sin. And uh, my, my connect group got a bit of a taste of this. This is like, they got a bit of a mini version of this extended version. So they'll know where I'm, when they'll, you'll probably go, oh, okay, I see where he's going. Um, quite powerful. But the question I have is, why does sometimes our old nature it tries to creep back in? Or our old nature, our old man, our old, um, old, old nature just begins to influence the way we are. And, and it's like we, we left that behind. We experienced God in a crazy way. And now there's something of the old man, the old nature creeping back in. And, and it's like there's a lot of scriptures to talk about this. And I was talking to someone the other day who said um, they grew up when their father wasn't around very much when they were growing up. And, you know, sometimes we, we say, hey, the father's my old man and it's either a term of endearment or it's derogatory or whatever it is but it's like you talk about the old man and it's like this, this guy was saying that his father wasn't around when he was growing up but then he's come back into his life now and what happens when the old man comes back into the life it stirs things up and so just in the honest conversation, it was like the old man is stirring some things up. And I'm, I'm using that. It's got really nothing to do with my, with my message. But it does say that the old man does sometimes come back into our lives in a way that we've got to actually know how to handle that. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It says, resist him. 
and this is the, 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 the how to do this. It says, resist him in verse 9 by being steadfast in the faith. But the thing that I like here, it says that, that be sober, be vigilant. That means be on guard. You don't want to run into a lion. There's two types of lions. There's the roaring lion, and that's the one that you can hear and you know where it is. And then there's the ambush lion. That's the one that you don't see and you can walk into a trap. And so my question today is where's your roaring lion is, is about where we know there's weakness in our lives or things that we've dealt with or things that could come back into our lives if we are not careful to identify where the roaring lion is hiding. It's easy because he's making a noise. I know there's other sermons, people say, oh yeah, he's toothless, I'm not even going to go there today. But the roaring lion is easy to find. If you go out into the, into the, uh, into the game park, the lion that you're most probably going to see is the one you can hear first, and you don't really want to bump into the one you can't see. So the stories here of, of ambush. See, the devil does try and ambush us. They go, oh no, he doesn't. He does, so there was a king that, this particular season, it was the spring of the year, and he decided that I'm going to send my, my armies into battle like was normal. I'm going to send them into battle, but I'm not going to go. I'm going to send them in. I'm going to trust my mighty men. We've got a great team in the church here. I'm not going to come to church today. I'm just going to send my, boy, my men and women in to run the service because I'm just going to stay at home today. So this king decided to stay home. And I don't know what the reason was. Maybe he's a bit tired. Maybe he's getting older. Maybe he was going to pray that they would win the battle. Maybe he was just feeling like he needed a rest. Maybe he's wanting to hang out with the kids. I don't know. But he stayed home and he was, he was in, the, in, the, in the palace and in the, in the evening it says he goes up onto the, onto the balcony and he looks over the balcony and holy moly, here's a woman bathing down there. And, and, and King David, he, he's got six wives, probably 10 concubines, got women everywhere. He didn't need another woman. But he looks over the balcony and what happens is like he got ambushed. He saw this beautiful woman and says, man, who is she? And it was like there was a moment where he could have said, oh, get away from the balcony. Stop going down that track. But he didn't. He inquired who she was and then he found out who she was. And then even then he says, got around to his place. And, you know, from then on, David's life unraveled. There was a series of events that really almost wrecked him. Because of this one ambush situation where he wanted what wasn't his. There's another story in Genesis 3. Remember that? Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. It's awesome. This is like God's amazing. It's like paradise. This is everything's fantastic. And and, and God says, Hey, everything is yours except for don't eat off that one tree of the, the knowledge of good and evil. One rule. Isn't that, I could do life with one rule. He said, don't eat off that tree. And what happens? They go over to the tree to fruit inspect. They weren't going to eat. But what happens, the serpent was there and he says the serpent was more crafty than all the other animals. And he only mentioned one thing. He says, why can't you have that? Why, why would God say not to have it? Because you would be like him and you'll know all things. One question and they like, well, it sounds plausible. And they ate. And guess what? Adam and Eve found themselves in an ambush and now they're struggling 
Now they're like, oh my gosh, and that messed them up. They got kicked out of the garden. All things went wrong for them. Ambush does happen. And then we go to Matthew 4.1. And Jesus has just been water baptized. Now he's gone to the wilderness and he's there for 40 days and 40 nights fasting. I'll pick it up in verse 4. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to, the, to be tempted by the devil. Hey, when did, devil, when did the devil tempt Jesus? Before I read it. After 40 days. It says that. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and says, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Then in verse 6, he says, if you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. And again in verse 8 he says, The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. The devil wants and will ambush us. Jesus was ambushed. Jesus went 40 days, 40 nights, having a great time fasting, praying, praying, praying. That's a good word, eh? Who does praying? With the Father. And then... When he was at the end of it, it said, another script says he was tired and hungry. That is not a good time. If you want to have a conversation with me, when I'm tired and hungry, forget it. And the devil knew that he was weak and he came to him and he offered him everything. He didn't really have anything to offer him, really. But Jesus was like, he was strong. When we are weak, he is strong. That seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? When Paul says that. When, when I am weak, I am strong. It's like... No, I'm not. When I'm weak, I'm weak. When I'm weak, I don't feel it. But really what it's saying is when I am weak, he is strong in me. And Jesus was strong. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Again, it's talking about like the old man nature, but old things, old ways, old habits have passed away. So all things are now new. And then we get to Romans 7, 13 to 20. And that's Paul talking about the conflict of two natures. Now listen, I'm going to read this. This is hard to read, but listen, listen to this. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into the bondage of sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, then I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells within me. All that to say, I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do. That is a lot. And that's Paul talking about that. And this is the nature in us that we want to do what we want to do. And we get away and get out of God's will. So why does the old nature appear, uh, uh, reappear? Often it's because it's sin that dwells in us, it's in our humanity. See, we are, I, I realized just recently that we are imperfect people. I just realized that. You know, when, when you're leading people in that and things don't go well in that, it's like, actually, 
Just like I am, we all are imperfect people. And we all have to get on top of our game. We all have to make sure we keep away from things that we shouldn't be dabbling in or getting involved in because we are imperfect people. Galatians 5.1 says this, Stand fast therefore in the liberty of which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. There's scriptures that talk about this. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. It's like, it's like God is pretty wise. He's, he's, God's quite wise. It's just like you can again be entangled in stuff. If you allow your stuff to come back into your life, you can be entangled in it again. God's looking for a righteousness and he's looking for a, like a sinless people. And are we going to achieve that? We aim for that. Of course, we aim for that. When he says um, entangled again, that's talking about shackles for slaves. You're shackled as a slave. You're bound to it. Chris Valentin was, I, I quite like Chris Valentin. He's quite, quite a now sort of a, uh, a voice in the Christian world. And um, he, he went through uh, three and a half years where he was in real uh, burnout, real um, depression, anxiety. Um, and it was just horrible. He couldn't sleep. He, the night sweats. He couldn't fun- He could sort of function during the day sort of as he worked, but only just hang in there. And, and uh, one day he was listening to a, a radio bro- uh, broadcast that said, and the guy was preaching was saying, says, you know, you just take authority over the things. And he felt the Lord say, just pray over um, is it, um, fear and insanity and, and, and ask them to leave your life. And he's like laughing, thinking that it can't, can't be that easy. I've had this for three and a half years. And you're saying pray against fear and insanity and it's going to be gone. He does it and he gets immediately free. And he's like, you don't want to get that free that quick when you, when you had this thing for three and a half years. It's like it had to be more complicated than that. And he got free. And he went to it. He was at a meeting there just after it. And he was kept driving home on the freeway. And he's like, man, I am so feeling so good. I'm so happy. This is amazing. I, it's like, I am going to tell everyone. I'm going to tell the whole world about it. And the devil just said straight into his like, if you tell anybody, I'll kill you. And he said, instantly, it all came back again. And he couldn't function. He had to pull over on the side of the freeway and call his wife and says, help. I'm a mess. I can't drive home. You have to come and get me. Instantly, the devil said one thing and robbed the freedom from his life. And I, I think sometimes we, we, we have that. We, 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 one thing trips us up and we all of a sudden find ourselves incapacitated we can't do anything and he had to work as it was easier uh, to get out the second time because he knew what he'd done he'd listened to the intimidation of what the devil had said into his, his subconscious and he came out of it so my point today is this did I say that point it's one thing to get free it's another thing to stay free and so you know, if we get free of something then we start going dabbling back into it and you wonder why you're back into it it's because you went back into it. And so my point today is, is that we know where our roaring lion is and know where an ambushed lion could be. And so I'm going to get f- fairly real now. <laughs> Maybe I've done a bit of kingdom brotherhood too long. I'm going to get a bit, bit real. I'm going to talk about some of the things, you know, some of the roaring lions that I know I need to keep away from. Um, and the Bible says, you know, judge not or you will be judged 
like that. And so you'll understand when I'm talking, you'll understand where I'm coming from, but I feel a little vulnerable sharing the stuff, but I'm, I'm going to do, I had to talk to Kath about a couple of things to make sure she knew the stories before I told them in case she didn't know them and then she was manifesting in the front because I hadn't let her know, because I, I do that sometimes, I tell a story and it upsets her, makes her cry or whatever, and she says, you didn't tell me, so I didn't know I needed to tell you. So I've, I've pre, pre-warned Kath, so she's all good. And so th- the, my roaring line that I have to watch out for, the first one is insecurity. Um, and Dre quite often says when I go to um, meetings or conferences, things, he's, oh, he looks around, oh, Lyndon's talking to this person, next thing Lyndon's talking to him, and Lyndon's talking to that person, that couple. And, and, and to be fair, he's a little bit, yeah, he doesn't know what's happening in me. Do you know what my unbearable feeling is? Being in a room full of people and not talking to anybody. That's my unbearable feeling. And so, am I extrovert to a degree? Certain environments, yes. But other environments, no. And so my unbearable feeling is standing there looking silly. And some people can do it. They can stand there and look totally fine, not talking to anybody. If I'm standing there not talking to anybody, I look awkward. I look embarrassed. I look... (laughs) Help. And, And so I know there's an insecurity in me that I've got to be careful about. We had a, um, uh, a pastor's meeting in town there a couple of years ago, and there's a whole bunch of these senior pastors. I don't know if there's any other associate pastors, but you know, I heard someone, I think Lydia said, about, and, um, in a CLDP meeting about imposter syndrome. And when she said it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. Like, I'm an imposter. I'm not a real pastor. You know, I am, I am so not what everybody else in this room is. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, then we had to share. Each one had to share. And, and I had nothing to share. Like, the senior pastor's like, oh, our church is doing this, and this is what I'm feeling. Well, for me, it's like, I'm with him. <laughs> and and I, just, I just felt like, boy, I don't belong here. And there's that voice of insecurity saying, hey, you don't belong here. You don't belong. Who do you think you are? You're not, you're not really that good. You're not really up there. You're not in those, this etching of leadership. And I, I felt it, and I haven't been back to one of those meetings. <laughs> I just dodge it because I don't need to go. I think that's for senior pastors. And, and look, I'm okay. Being a 2IC is actually hard. It's like someone said, playing second fiddle in the, in the orchestra is really hard. Um, and I like being second fiddle, but it is hard at times because, you know, I know with a church this size, a lot of people go to Dre because he's still accessible. But when the church gets even bigger, or well, even now it's actually pretty hard to get to Dre because he's, but I can't even get to Dre because he's so busy. It's, you know, sometimes you can feel a bit of insecurity. So, you know, someone who might, might be journeying with, oh, I went and talked to Dre about that. So what are you going to talk to me about that? What's wrong with me? Oh, you're not, you're not that sort of etching of spiritual authority and you know, the voice of wisdom and godly godliness. Is that where you sit? Somewhere? See, I know it's all rubbish. What I feel is rubbish. I know it is. But I do feel the insecurity. I was at another regional meeting and we go in there. I'm normally okay, but they're a bit shorter. And, and, and so you don't get to, you know, people in, in their conversations. I find it very hard to break into a past, senior pastor's conversation. Hey, g'day, Sam. How are you? <laughs> I'm Lyndon. I'm with him. We've got Rolleston, Cornerstone. We're trying to build a build. Hey, how much money can you give us? I... I, I don't know how to break into it. And one day there we were busy talking and next thing I, I grab my little, what are they called? Those were food, food, that's what it is. No, no, what are they? 
canapes. Yeah, I grabbed my little canapé and turned around. Here's Shane Willard standing right there. And I looked at Shane and I thought, I don't know what to talk to him about. <laughs> All of a sudden, my insecurity kicked in. It's like, why didn't I say something that was half pie, you know, wise or, or reflected? Hey, Shane, yeah, it's really good to, you know, I really enjoy the way that you, you know, you know, we've got a lot of people that just love the way that you expound the scriptures. And, you know, I, I really appreciate it. I just want to encourage you. What did I do? I went, whoo. <laughs> Flipping melted. So there's environments that I know I can function, and church is pretty good. I actually felt nervous this morning because I just I'm sort of because I'm talking about this stuff, but it's not. I'm not nervous about you guys. I'm just nervous about me presenting it in a way that you can understand it and go home thinking, "Well, that was a good feed." I know where that came from. When I was born, I was born posterior, so my face is facing up, which means that it takes a bit more getting out. And so my dad, he's a workaholic, working on the dairy farm. Um, comes in to see me after I was born because he wasn't there at the birth. He looks into two bassinets and he sees two babies. And he says, well, I hope that one's mine because it's the best looking one. He picked the wrong bassinet. All right, okay. And I cried. I said, Dad, that's not... No, I didn't. I have no idea what he said except my spirit as a baby picked up a rejection thing. Right there at birth. And there's, there's times in our lives where we, we can bless our kids, and that's at conception, birth, um, puberty, for us, 21st, marriage. There's times where we bless. Dad missed the first one. Probably the, the first, but the conception one is probably just in his busyness, let's just get this done, and oh, we're pregnant. So, so Dad wasn't really on to it. When I got to um, 13, when I had puberty, you know, mum gave me a bit of a bees, birds and bees talk. Dad said nothing, and mum threw me a book. That was it, done. Get through to, nine, uh, to 21, my, my 21st, and dad had an opportunity to speak. And what happened? He'd just recovering from a heart, heart, um, heart attack. Um, he's 49, recovering from a heart attack. He thanked everybody for the support and, and, and helping and helping out and, and uh, being there for, on the journey after his half, heart attack, and he forgot to talk about me. And I'm, I went away thinking, Dad, Dad, you're supposed to say nice things about me at my 21st. And then um, a year or so later, Kath and I got married, and he had another opportunity at our wedding to, to say something, and again, he, he, he fluffed that one as well. And it left me feeling that, oh man, oh man, I didn't get the affirmation from my dad that I really needed as a young man. And so this leads into my second thing that was a problem, that in order to get that from my dad, I had to hang out with my dad because my dad didn't have time. When he first got married, he was a town-supplied dairy farmer, which means you milk all year round. He didn't miss one milking for seven years after he got married. Not one milking. If I wanted to hang out and get relationship with my dad, I had to go, go where he was because he wasn't coming where I was. And so, so, my, so I would, you know, when I was just you know, 12, I was getting up before school and going down and feeding the calves and feeding the pigs and feed, running the dog. And, and then after school, I'd get down there and I'd help finish milking and then I'd wash the yard down. And you know, in the dark, I remember the winter evenings like we've got now, you know, we'd finish milking the cows in the dark and I always loved hosing the yard down in the dark. And then we'd just walk up the track together. Dad was a good dad. We'd walk up the track and we'd just talk as we walked up the track. But I had to go where he was 
to get that feeling that my dad actually liked me and you know, loved me. And so what happens, because he was a workaholic, I started to feel that kicking in me. And uh, we would, you know, I, I'm a high, I was a high achiever in, in that area of my life where I'd do a heck of a lot. And, and so from a young age, I was getting molded to this workaholism thing. And then at 19, I became a Christian and I was working for my dad. Well, I came back to the farm once he had the heart attack and so I was working with him. And we'd be work every day. We would work after tea at night in the summer. We'd go out and work again until it got dark. We didn't have roster days off, so we didn't have days off. We'd be milking and feeding out pigs that we had pigs in as well. And we would be doing all this extra work. And then one day as a new Christian, I just said, Dad, this has got to stop. He said, I, I wanna, I'm not going to get married at this rate. I, I'm not going to, it's just not going to happen for me because everything's work. And I remember that conversation I had with him. And from that day, we stopped working after tea and we had rostered days off. And something started to change for Dad then, and, and uh, he got, um, yeah, he, he, he changed. But then I had to deal with that whole workaholism thing. So, I mean, at one stage there, I was, well, we, we had our own farm. I was running a 340-cow share milking job, and I was relief milking for another guy. I was running a youth group. We were elders in the church. We had four boys. I was trying to be a husband of some sort of quality. You name it. It's like, how do you do that? I'm not like that now. Now my capacity has died, bro. It's like, you know, I'm a farmer and I'll do a bit of pastoring and it's like, crikey. How did I do that? Calf's dad one day said to Calf, oh, that guy, like, it's like, he, he annoys me. I wish he had just stopped running across the yard to get things done. And I'm like, I don't run. But because I walk fast, he thought I was running. So, so I know my second roaring, my first roaring line, insecurity. I can let that back in and I can be insecure. The second one is that workaholic thing. See, on my days off, I climb mountains and things. That's actually not very relaxing. But that second one, that workaholic drive, and sometimes you know, when I'm doing nothing, I can feel like a stress headache because I'm not achieving anything. And it's like, I, I know what it is. It's like, now I just got to relax. I don't have to feel guilty. I don't have to try and prove myself to anybody that I'm busy or if someone comes in, oh, are you having a wee sleep? <coughs> yeah, no, no. It's, who cares? And my third one, it's like the three sort of ministry pitfalls, I guess it's for anybody really, is gold, glory, and girls. It's getting real now. Guys, if you're squirming, squirm with me because we need to squirm together. When I look at gold, money and stuff, you know, we have adequate income and, and I've, we've always wanted to pay off our debts and get debt free and whatnot, that's all good. And so I don't really have a real hunger, you know, the workaholism thing could have learnt, leaned into that, but because I'm not that way wired, I'm not that worried about money. I could live on so much less than we do now if we had to. Um, and it's not really something that drives me. I hear some people that say, oh, I'm not sure about the money, 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 can't get enough. I don't, I'm just not like that. So I don't feel that that's a problem. It's not a line I have to worry about. And the second one is glory. You know, like, who would want to be a senior pastor? No, 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 no. I'm only a pastor because he made me. <laughs> and so I would honestly function better pastorally, not with the title. 
I don't care about the title. It does give me some sort of authority, and yeah, I understand all that. I'm not, I'm not silly. But at the same time, here my heart is I don't need to be the front person. And I just love that Dre can get up and talk about the hard things like he did today. And I just look at him and go, oh, sheesh, couldn't even do a half pie decent job of that because you know me. So I'm not worried about the glory. I don't want to be famous and I don't want to be rich and famous. There you go. I don't want to be rich and famous. But however, there's the third one. That's the girls. That's the tricky one. It's like, I've been, Kaf and I've been married 36 years. Kaf is my own sexual partner, my only sexual partner. So I just, so that you're not thinking weird things when I'm talking, okay? And so, you know, we've been married all that time there and, and I have never had a problem outside of marriage or whatever. But I remember one time we were coaching um, a soccer team and there's this young guy in the team is one of these really aggressive young guys who were cool and we were working with him and, and his mother appreciated it and we got on well with the mother. Kath and I were both doing the coaching and, and I, I noticed that, you know how before Tinder when you have to answer questions and get matched, these are the days we didn't have phones, didn't have Tinder, didn't have anything. The only cues you could pick up was body language and hints and things like, you know that you look up and someone's looking at you and it's like, oh, they were looking at me. And then you do the, the practice and next thing, they're looking at you again. I think there's something wrong. This is weird. When I look up, this lady's looking at me. And I started to realize that, okay, I think something's going on here. And she appreciated what we were doing and what I was doing. She, we enjoyed each other's company. Um, her boy was doing well. Um, but I realized that, hmm, nothing came of that. So you go, oh, phew, London. A few months later, she ended up having an affair with one of my very good friends. And I thought, mate, I was picking up some cues. I didn't realize I was, I sort of knew that I was picking up stuff toward me, but, but my friend ended up having an affair with her. And it's like, whew, I knew that I had to avoid that. That was a roaring lion for me. I'm going to tell you why this is the case soon. Another time I was ag, um, uh, tutoring for Ag New Zealand with Wrightson's NMA or Wrights, PGG Wrightson's. And uh, we'd have all these young ones come in and they would get taught farming stuff, you know, from everything from fencing, chainsaw, stock work, motorbike riding, tractor driving, all that sort of stuff. And uh, this girl came in, her name was Amanda, 19 years old. And we got on really well. Um, she'd been on some missions trips through her school. I think she went to Middleton. Um, and, and it was good. We just chatted like friends. And, you know, when we're driving to, you know, in car loads with other people, we'd just be chatting. And she, we, we got on really well. And then one day we went to Canterbury Park and we were getting um, um, a demonstration there and people were talking to us in our group of probably, you know, a dozen or 15 of us in the group. And I'm standing at the rail at the back of the rail behind, I'm leaning against the rail. And as, we, as the guy was talking to us and telling us stuff, I felt this girl, Amanda, leaning into me here. And I'm like, she's actually leaning into me. And I'm thinking, this is weird. And so the guy said something funny, ha, 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 and we all sort of moved a bit, and I went, whoop. And within a couple of minutes, she's leaning into me again. And I'm thinking, I'm in my 40s. I'm thinking, am I? No, no, no. Anyway, we, we finished the day, and then I said to the course tutor, I said, it was a bit odd today. I just felt that Amanda was leaning into me. I mean, I moved, and then she came back in. And I said, I just, yeah, I just wanted to let you know, because Roaring Lion, I said, like, I'm feeling something here. There's something, you know, have you heard of the term projection? 
where what's on someone else, they project it onto you and you feel it. And that was happening. I'm feeling something. Again, a few months later, Bill, my course um, uh, tutor guy, um, came to me, Linda, I need to talk to you. So he went to the office. You know the farm we put Amanda on? He says, yeah, yeah. She's pregnant. I thought, oh, devastated. You're kidding me. He says, how, who? And she said, well, the manager. The manager was married, had a bunch of kids, and he said that she had an affair with a manager who was in his 40s, and now she's pregnant. And I just felt so torn up about that because I know what she wanted. She grew up in a family where her dad was absent. The old man wasn't there. She had siblings. They were poor. They struggled all the way through their lives. I heard a story. I knew a story. She wasn't looking for a lover. She was looking for a father. And it annoyed me. And I was like, my gosh. It just sort of hurt me because she was such a lovely girl. And now she's messing up her life. So it's a roaring lion that I have to be aware of. You only have to have a phone or watch a movie and, you know, all of a sudden those ambush moments come, okay? I know stuff I have to know is a roaring lion I don't watch. An R18 movie, okay, sexual content, okay, (laughs) roaring lion, I'm not watching it. But then you're watching just a romantic movie and all of a sudden there's a full nude scene or something goes on and it's like, holy moly, why does it do stuff in a guy's mind? I, God, you made a mistake. It's like, why do we have to be so visual? And it's those ambush moments that you've got to be careful about. Now for me, uh, the intensity of it for me was this. And when I was 13, um, I was in Form 2, whatever that is, Year 8, is it? At Lincoln, High, uh, Lincoln Primary School at the time. And in the winter, me and my mates and the girls, the cool girls of the class, we'd go to the library and play Love, Dear, Truth. And we're playing this game. I'm there. No one's ever asked me to do anything because I, they just didn't ask me to do anything. Like, fortunately, I just laughed at everybody else and did what everybody else did. But I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to kiss a girl or do anything. And then one day, one of my friends looked at me, hey, Sid, because my name, nickname was Sid, you haven't done anything. You're sexless. And in that instant, that nickname stuck for six weeks. Where not only my class was calling me, other kids in the school were calling me sexless. It was my, it was my bully moment, man. And all of a sudden, I'm being called sexless. And the more I would fight it, the worse that it got. So I had to shut up. I had to just, just go to school miserable. Because every day, hey, sexless. And it's like, I'm not sexless. And it, what it did, it made me question my sexuality. It's like, am I normal? Is a, am I okay? Am I functioning okay? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But what it did, it started to really damage me because I had this doubt about whether I was fully man, you know. And I remember things like we go to rugby practice and... Uh, Behind the rugby changing rooms those days, there's always playboys. I, I, I guess they were planted there on purpose to try and get the next generation of playboy readers coming through because, you know, we'd all end up reading these playboys. It's kind of really quiet in here. <laughs> but I, I knew, but it just made me question things. It's maybe like, am I normal? 
Am I normal? You know, this is, I'm with my friends, but I don't feel normal. Unfortunately, I got married, which is a good thing. And we had four boys. That's a stud right there. We didn't even have to, th- well, if we thought about having another boy, another kid, we'd just have another kid. It was like, it took me all those years with this underlying thing in me going, am I normal, to finally prove in marriage that I'm f- totally fine. But the damage was done. So my roaring lion now is I've got to be careful what I let myself see and I've got to be watch out for the ambush because it does take me places I don't want to go. And I can hear all those silent amens. It's fairly, fairly big, eh? So, if you're sitting here today going, oh, I'm glad I'm not like him, I'm going to give you opportunity to join me. So here's some other things that could be your roaring lion, the thing that you need to keep away from. Okay, anger, shame, addiction. I like what Stefan said before. He said two years free from an alcohol addiction, which you didn't need to say that this morning. When you said it, I said, amen, bro. Because I, I, I felt a couple of prophetic things here, and this is around this one here. One of them is regarding addictions. Alcohol is not your friend. And I just sense there's someone here today that you need to break the relationship with alcohol. Stefan's done it. Go and talk to that man. And I don't believe God only talks to Stefan and me because God talked to me about that years, years ago too. And so I believe that there's, there's, there's at least one person here today that has a, a relationship with alcohol that is not healthy. And uh, I believe God wants to do something in your life today. The next thing is um, for the South African community here. You know, I love you guys. You know, half our church is South Africans. So we haven't got a choice. We've got to love you guys because you guys are amazing. And I've got a lot of good friends that are South African now. And, and because of that, I've got to know your culture. Um, and, and the more that I spend time with you, the more I see the insights. That, but there's a couple of things that I've, I've really started to see very clearly about your, your, your culture is this, that you guys... There, and ladies, there is, there is grief and trauma in your, in your background, in your lives. And the trauma is one from what you've seen and what you've been involved in and things that have happened back in your homeland and your motherland. And the grief is actually leaving that and leaving friends and family and people and then coming to New Zealand and starting afresh. But there's still an aspect of grief and trauma in you that is hard to put to the side. It still is like a roaring lion. You still feel it. And the, the, the two words I got is one, a refugee spirit, where there's a displacement, a feeling of displacement, that you've been displaced from your home, from where you belong. And so that refugee spirit is, means that you've, you've come out because you've had to come out, but you didn't really want to come out, but for your family and the next generation, you had to come out, and so with a heavy heart and, and memories that weren't so good of what's happened over in South Africa, 
You're now in New Zealand and you're struggling to connect with the culture in New Zealand because you're still spiritually connected through grief and trauma from your motherland. I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I just feel to say it. And that's why I've said it. And so today, maybe that's your roaring line, that there needs to be a disconnect, not from the love of your motherland, but from the stuff that's gone down and the grief that you're hanging on to because God wants to free you from that. Okay? Other things like self-worth, soul ties, generational curses. I was talking to a young guy yesterday. Well, he's not so young anymore. He's 48 now. <laughs> so how did you get that old? And when I say generational curses, his father spent time in prison. He spent time in prison and his son has just come out of prison. That's a generational curse. So there may be a generational curse that you can see that, that has come down your family lineage that somehow you have copping it. Just bear that one in mind if there's any, anybody that's speaking to you. Some of these things will speak to you. Some of these things won't speak to you. Unforgiveness and bitterness. I've got someone that won't forgive me. It's not hurting me. They have medical conditions and they're the most miserable person in this planet. When I see them, they look miserable. I guess probably seeing me makes them miserable. I've gone to them, I've been on bended knee asking for forgiveness and she will not forgive me. I've apologised for anything I've done wrong and all I've done wrong. And what's happening is that is killing her. And I guarantee you, once you let forgiveness take root, bitterness comes in pretty quick. Once you're in bitterness, you're in big trouble without Jesus. Some more, unfairness, resentment, broken trust, offence. Offence. What does the Bible say? It's impossible that offence won't come our way. Offences stop us progressing in God. And we think we can deal with those things. Next and that, that comes back like an old man nature. It comes back and it starts to manifest again. We've got to be very careful of that one. Hurt, anxiety, and depression. Anxiety and depression are huge. Huge. I, until Lucky sort of brought it up with Kingdom Brotherhood, I never realized just how big this is and how many people are influenced by it. So if you're thinking, oh, phew, Lyndon, that was a good list and you didn't mention any of mine, our, ro- our roaring lion could be what we idolize. Mm, here we go. Here's another list. Because what we idolize becomes sin in our lives. So it could be work. See that workaholic thing in me? Fortunately, I'm proud of, I'm proud of my work. I'm proud of what I do and the way the farm looks and stuff and how we manage things. But it's not my idol. I'd rather go fishing or hunting. It's like, who wants an idol of work? I mean, gosh, if you're going to have an idol, it might be a good one. I mean, so work, sport, your leisure activity. Okay, I put my hand up. That was my fourth one I've got to watch out to because hunting and fishing is addictive. Hey, Nathaniel, I see, I see you moving in your seat down there. Our leisure activity. Did you hear that? Money. Possessions or position. And they can be our roaring lion where we hold on to them so tightly that they actually become a sin in our lives. 
So if we go back to Jesus, when he was tired and hungry, the devil came to ambush him and try and get his way over Jesus. And Jesus said, no, be away with you. But it says in Luke 4, verse 13, the devil went away waiting for an opportune time. The devil went away looking for a time that he could ambush Jesus. And there it was, right there in the garden. Got him, got him, got him, got him. He's on the cross, got him. Except he got it wrong. And instead of being an opportunity to take Jesus down, it outed Satan. Fantastic. Remember Galatians 5, stand fast, do not be again entangled in a yoke of bondage. You know, when our focus is on God and living for God, that's the way we head. If our focus is on ourselves and our comfort and what we want to do, that's the way we head. Stand fast, do not be entangled again. And I like 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Who's he talking to? Me. You. We think we're strong. I heard of a, a, a youth leader in our church who was playing rugby and he went and had a, an after party in the house with all his rugby mates and there was the, the uh, massage girl was there and by the time everybody left, this young man stayed in the house with his lady and when they all left, he, she says, do you want it? And he says, what? And she uncovers herself and says, do you want it? And he's like, huh, huh. And he had that moment, do I flee or do I stay and see where this goes? And he fleed and then he came to our staff meeting and says, look guys, I've got to fess up. I put myself in a compromising position, but I fleed, I got away from it. And you know, initially I thought, how the, what the, why were you, and then then God says, what about that thought you just had before? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to judge him because then God's going to look at me and say, hey, hey, you're not that flash yourself. What's going on in here? No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He also will make the way of escape. And so when our roaring lion you know, we've avoided, but then we run into an ambush line. There is a way of escape. You can get away from the ambush line. I love watching those African documentaries where a lion will catch something. I always seem to feel, even though they've got to eat and they've got to live, and that's, I always feel really cool when, a, you know, a baby antelope managed to get away from the lion and goes back to its mother and they run away. It's like, yes! I'm watching, it's like, oh, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, oh, dang it! And then it's, now it's dead, and next thing it's still alive and it's up, or something, a crocodile's got something, and they managed to get out of the crocodile's jaws. You know, it's like, I always like that, eh? But God's like that with us. You know, it's not over until it's over. If you're getting caught by a crocodile, keep wriggling because you might get away from a crocodile. If you just take it, you'll die. It's the faithfulness of God. He'll make a way of, mistake, of escape. And then my last scripture, can I have the band up here? I want you up here, but I don't want you playing. Is that all right? So we're coming to the part where I'm going to ask something of you guys um, because I do feel that God wants to do a work in lives and, and many lives. Genesis 4, 6 says this. 
this is talking when Cain, Cain brought his offering to God and it wasn't accepted. He says, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Here's Cain's lion goes off. Because you didn't accept my offering. And so his lion was anger. He's two generations into God and he's got a problem with anger. Oh my gosh. Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. That, it's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. If you, oh my gosh. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. What else crouches? An ambush. The lion. When I read that, I thought, man, that just fits beautifully for the end. It's desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And 1 Peter 5, 9 says this, resist him. How? By being steadfast in your faith. We can do that. Okay, can everybody bow their heads and shut your eyes? And while you're in that posture, start thinking, what are the roaring lions in your life that you have to know where they are? What's the roaring lion in your life? Let's just go for one thing today. You can have 10 if you want to, but let's go for one thing today. What's your roaring lion that you've got to know where it is so that you, therefore you don't walk into it? What's the roaring lion that you've got to be careful that you're not going to get ambushed by it? Or if you do get ambushed, how are you going to escape it? Are we just going to sit in silence for a couple of minutes? while you ask yourself that question, what's my roaring lion? Okay. We're going to sing Waymaker. And this is the invite this morning. You know, it's good that you've contemplated something right now, but there's going to be an action to it. If you want to like put a stake in the ground and say, hey, this is my roaring lion. This is the thing I need to avoid. And you want to put a stake in the ground today, I just ask you to respond this morning as we sing the song. The song here, you are here, working in this place. If you want to put a stake in the ground, it's like, you know, seeing a response or you responding is saying, okay, God, I'm humbling myself before you and I'm going to respond for this thing that I'm thinking of and it just makes it so much more meaningful when you actually have to put an action to your decision and so can we stand please and as we sing the song the, the altar is open and you can just come and find a space up here there's heaps of space up here come up and find space and then I'm just going to pray over everybody at the end but it's a declaration that you're making. It's your decision and no one else's. It's your decision, what you identify as your roaring line. Thanks, Willie.